What I find fascinating about the Asian specialty coffee market is that a lot of coffee from places like the Philippines and Thailand, like the best coffees from these countries stay in those countries. So maybe if you've ever had like a coffee in China, maybe you, you didn't realize it, but that's probably the best that China has to offer because they're so precious that they prefer to just sell it within their respective countries. And like for, for those of us who are outside, we, we miss out on a lot. Welcome to the Geopets podcast, Coffee Show. In the Geopets podcast, we talk to folks who have so many cultures in them, around them, and running through them. And we do this in very niche ways by talking about books or coffee language or something else. This particular episode, we are talking to someone who's in Berlin, Germany, the same city as myself right now, which is very, very cool. We did do this interview via the internet because my in-person setup is not ready just yet. And there were, I admit, some technical glitches. However, what Mariel says about her coffee experiences, the bombs of knowledge about places she's been to, the insights into the coffee industry, as well as her own personal experiences, are so gem-like that I'm not holding this back for a second, just because of a little echo here and there. If you are super sound sensitive, do what you need to do. We'll understand. For everybody else, I would like to introduce you to the coffee goddess known as Mariel. Thank you so much, Mariel, for joining us on the Geopets podcast, Coffee Edition. You're welcome. For the listeners, can you tell them where you are geographically right now? So I'm in Berlin, Germany at the moment. I've been here for a year now, or like almost a year, but I've been in Germany for um, seven years in March, end of March. So wow. I've been here a while. Let's do it chronologically. So you're born and raised in the Philippines mm-hmm. and then moved to Australia mm-hmm. and then you came to Germany. Right. When I first moved to Germany, I moved to Munich and I was there for two years or a little more than two years. And then I moved to the Western part of Germany. So closer to the Netherlands, I was in a city called Duisburg. That's where I did my PhD. And I moved briefly to Dusseldorf to be with my partner there um, before we moved to Berlin or I moved to Berlin rather last year. Um, and then he followed about four months later. So yeah, we're pretty, pretty settled in Germany. Yeah, sometimes I wonder whether I still qualify as an expat because I've been here for so long. Yeah, I use it very loosely. Sometimes I interview people who've never even left their home country but are so connected to other places. I'm like, that's fine. You're, yeah, you're, that's you're fine. <laughs> especially inside, you're all mixed up. And that's the people I like to talk to because that's kind of my exactly. internal confusion slash gorgeousness of this life. <laughs> Let's right. talk about what you're doing right now. Are you drinking coffee mm-hmm. right now? I wish I was, but I already had my coffee. So <laughs> I, um, I, so I, so I uh, hand brew my coffee every morning. So if you've heard of um, all, all these gadgets like Chemex and V60s and things, I use a V60, Hario V60 hand filter uh, to brew my coffee every morning. And this morning I had coffee from Yunnan, China, which is actually not that common so my favorite roastery here in berlin it's called 19 grams um they're the only cafe and roastery in berlin that offers like coffee from china so i um couldn't pass up the opportunity to have yeah yunnan coffee because it has a really distinct kind of fruity 
yeah, kind of like pleasantly sour taste that I really like. So um, that's what I had this morning. But I ran out. So that was my last, that was the last of the bag. And that's really unfortunate that I couldn't be drinking like as I'm talking to you. But um, I'll probably get oh, some more tomorrow. <laughs> you definitely yeah. get some more. I didn't realize, I have been to that coffee shop, but I haven't oh, really? actually bought any beans there yet. Yeah, I have a, fun fact, I have a chiropractor down the street from them. So I was just, oh, really? just like, Oh, coffee shop. Of course, I'm going to go into this place. And, and um, you should try their brunch as well. It's pretty good. Okay. Well, I'm not leaving today, but someday I'm going over there. Someday soon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the Chemex, mm-hmm. I just looked at that. The V60, mm-hmm. that's the filter. Mm-hmm. Is it right. a basic filter or is there any special things that are happening in there? Mm, well, yeah, each of these... Um, each of these like uh, filters have their own like paper filter. They, that may mean they come with their own paper filter. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if it's just like branding or whatever. I guess you can use just any other, like any kind of filter that'll fit the funnel. But yeah, like I, I just like to like use Chemex filters with Chemex filters and V60 filters with V60, with V60 hand, uh, hand filters. Or do you grind your own? I do. So I have like an expensive, a uh, hand grinder, hand, hand grinder. The brand is called Comandante. It's actually a German brand, and a lot of um, like champion baristas and brewers use it for competitions. And I don't know why. I just wanted to like level up my like home brewing game by like buying this like grinder for Christmas. And it's expensive uh, apart from like the parts that are and the the materials that they use to to yeah. to make it. Apart from them being really like sturdy and yeah, I guess professional grade, um, you can actually control the like the grind size to a pretty kind of like minute level. So it's for like when you really want to be precise about your brewing, and like a lot of champion like baristas like to say it helps them like make consistent cups of coffee. So if you like made a really good cup of coffee at this particular grind size, you can like just use that grind size as your your go-to grind size for when you have like new coffees that you want to brew. So yeah, I do that. And it's, a, it's always nicer to like have like freshly ground coffee when you brew in the morning. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe a lot of this is just like psychological because like, Oh, if it's freshly made, then it must taste better, but I'm not risking it. it. I don't know. In fact, I tried to, cause I get in a, in a weird twist of fate. I actually get up, sooner than my husband now and I want I started to make him coffee in the morning and he's like that's right thank you but the process is pretty important to me so I really would prefer if you didn't like oh cool even better for me sure yeah 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 and I get that because for me also when I like when I find it and I and I cook it not cook it but make it they do say cook in German for coffee don't they the cook the coffee yeah they do yeah sorry yeah they do so anyway sorry I was like why cook i think my a1 level is just it's starting to get in there um anyway so that's the smells that come out of it and the process i'm watching it change and transform i think they're beautiful things yeah exactly so there's this um thing that you have to do when you hand brew coffee it's called the bloom it's when you like pour just a bit of water onto the coffee bed if you've i guess you've heard of it um and you Mm -hmm. let this like i guess gases or whatever from the roasting process yeah it releases those gases because i don't know honestly (laughs) i I suppose i should dive into coffee science a bit more but like as you probably know i'm more kind of more interested in the agriculture side of it and the sitting around in coffee shop side of it 
And I'm just kind of like, yeah, I look up how to brew coffee from either YouTube videos or even podcasts, actually. And from the like baristas that I met here in Berlin, but I've never really understood kind of like the chemistry of it or the technique of it, but um, I'll probably get there at some point. I'm in no rush. I'm, I, this is a lifelong love affair for me. So eventually I'll probably get to the point where I my coffee as I yeah. add water and stuff like that. But right now I'm not there. Yeah. But it'll, it'll happen yeah. with time. It has like 20 so bits too. in my coffee making experience. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. Can you put anything yeah. into your I do not. I, I don't think there's anything more to say. <laughs> Other than please don't put milk and sugar in your coffee especially if you're getting single origin coffee because that really just defeats the purpose of it right like if um for blends and maybe it's nice to maybe add a little bit of sugar and milk to heighten i don't know the flavors of the blend but if you get single origin coffees the the flavors come from the process that was used uh, post-harvest so you're going to lose a lot of the subtleties that the farmer and the processors and the roasters want you to taste. So that's kind of like, you know, just a shame. The people I drink coffee with, I mean, like I, I'll never tell them, oh my God, like why are you putting like milk and sugar in your coffee? That's like, you know, blasphemy or whatever. It's more of a prevention thing for me. It's like, if you ask my opinion about like good coffee, I'll just say like, just drink it as it, like it was meant to be drunk. And that is without milk and sugar. But that's just a personal preference. How about you? What do you think? I yeah. do like a little bit of foamy milk occasionally, especially if I right. know the place. Yeah. Like if I'm meeting someone and I'm iffy on the mm-hmm. coffee, I'll go with a cappuccino or like a macchiato first. Mm. And then I'll eat yeah. it and I'll smell theirs if they get, you know, if they get it untainted and I'll kind of, you know, work, <laughs> work it. But if I know the place is amazing, I definitely want to have just the coffee first. Right. And right. I guess that it's also because I don't know how to make, like coffees with milk. Like I don't know how to do like cappuccinos or like I don't know how to make latte oh, no. art and things like that. So um and I think how filtering is I mean it, it, it takes a lot of time as well, like a lot of time, like 15 minutes um out of your morning. But to me like I I find that like making espressos and making cappuccinos is really intimidating. And so I just like go for like the the simple hand brew like less the fewer ingredients there are the the better. Um, yeah. but, but I, I think I'd like to get to a point where I can make like my own cappuccinos and latte and like flat whites and things and make pretty latte art and stuff like that. So, I don't know. yeah. <laughs> I like the fact, cause I have a slight lactose intolerance. So I feel like if I learned how to do that right. well, it would be a, mm. a very slippery slope and I would just be like, let's make the first cappuccino of the day and 10 cappuccinos later, I would have like massive. Right? I would be like, exactly. so I, I kind of yeah. like it. Something I do in a coffee shop and not at home. (laughs) Right, right. Got it. Steph here. I just wanted to pop in and tell you some information that you may not already know about the Geopets podcast and specifically about my podcasting projects that extend beyond geopaths, believe it or not. First and foremost, at stephfuccio.com, S-T-E-P-H-F-U-C-C-I-O, you can see all of the things I'm about to talk to you about. First and foremost is the podcast itself. I'm shifting everything over from the Podbean site to the stephfuccio.com site, And the podcast episodes are starting to be sorted by the different shows, the coffee show, the book show, the language show, you know where this is going. So when it's all done, you can click on the theme that you like and see all of those episodes 
there. It's a work in progress. It'll probably take me all year. Hey, I move countries. Be nice. Also, there's podcast events and groups. There's groups for listeners and podcasters in Berlin, Germany, but there's also the online version of these groups as well. Also, we've got Pod Rev Day, which is Podcast Review Day. Now, if you're a podcast listener and you love podcasts, but you always forget to tell the podcasters what you think about their projects, Pod Rev Day is for you. It's on the eighth of every month, and the rest of the information you're going to have to go to stephfuccio.com and click on Pod Rev Day to find out. To support the podcast, we have a support page with affiliates. We also have a buy me a coffee thing. If you ever want to buy me a coffee, that's all on there. I have affiliates that will help you if you're a podcaster. I have affiliate links that'll help you if you're an expat, especially right now, American expat. I hope to build those up to include more stuff. There's also a contact page where you, you can leave me a typed message or you can leave me a a voice message on SpeakPipe. So however you spend your time on stephfuccio.com, I'm excited that you're listening and I'm excited that you will go over to the website and check these things out and hopefully pass it on to someone else that you think might be interested. So all of that is at stephfuccio.com. There's more, but I just wanted to give you a quick overview. If you haven't been to my website, I'm pretty excited about the podcasting related things that we're doing and I hope that you get involved. We are kind of hiding part of your coffee history from the listeners right. to now. Why don't we tell them about your coffee background? <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't say we have like a long coffee, like a long continuing coffee history. My dad's family is from a region in the Philippines called Benguet, which is like in the mountainous regions of, of the Philippines in the north of the country. And as you probably know, coffee grows in high altitude, right? altitudes so um that area is, was known for a long time um as a coffee growing region but in the like turn of the century turn of the 20th century there was a coffee ravage that area it's called coffee rust and it basically devastates entire plantations of coffee and so that area is not known for coffee growing anymore but my dad's family has land over there which isn't being used for anything right now i mean until we started growing coffee there two years ago but we found out as we started to research about like the, the land that we own over there and the history of it that our, my great-great-grandfather, who was actually American, grew coffee there and had a plantation of his own that he kept secret from authorities. I'm, I'm not really sure why he kept it a secret. We just found like really old letters from our great-great-grandfather saying that like r letters that he wrote to his family back in the U.S. saying that like, I'm growing coffee here and it's going really great. But we don't know what happened to that plantation, actually. Our guess is that it's like the coffee trees that he used to grow there. It's just now part of the forest, but that's, the, that's just growing there in the wild. So yeah, so um, we now like have about 5,000 coffee seedlings that we've planted on about three hectares of land. I could be getting the numbers wrong because it, it's my mom who, who does most of the farm management. But yeah, we started planning two years ago and now we have about five, around 5,000 coffee seedlings. And we aren't expecting a harvest until three years from now because coffee takes up to five years to mature. After that, we hope to like sell some of that coffee in the capital or if we find like good partners here in Europe and maybe export some of it here. And are you involved in any part of the growing process or, I mean, you're far away. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm actually, I'm the one who um, helps my mom find like coffee resources or like, like either books about like how to like basically best practices for coffee farming. So the thing about coffee farming in the Philippines that 
because of this this coffee rust disease that basically destroyed the coffee industry in the Philippines, like it kind of never recovered from that. So coffee farming techniques in the Philippines are a little outdated. So what I do is that because I'm living here in Europe, I get to meet other coffee professionals who then work with farmers in other countries that have more advanced techniques. And from them, I learn about a lot of books that are really helpful and a lot of resources that might be helpful. Podcasts are really helpful, actually. So there's an association called like Specialty Coffee Association, and they do a lot of interviews and uh, talks with like coffee farmers in like South America and Africa. And so I help my, I basically help my mom by curating all of these resources that she then like, yeah, listens to, or like uh, we work on like what techniques then we work for our farm. And then she communicates that to um, our partner farmers in, um, in the Philippines. So besides that, I go to a lot of coffee events. Like there's this big event called World of Coffee. And it's like, yeah, a, just a gathering of like specialty coffee professionals from all over the world, like roasters and importers. Um, and I use that opportunity to like ask um, coffee professionals what the market is looking for. What kind of coffees do Europeans like? What kind of coffees do Americans like? And that's the kind of information that my mom wouldn't have access to. And be- and it, it's really important because Europe and North America are the biggest consumers of coffee. So um, yeah, I'd like to think I'm used to I like to think that I'm bossing my parents around <laughs> from <laughs> They call me the project manager. So. Yeah, I'm a little floored right now because I did, in full disclosure, I did read your Twitter feed last night and you're a data scientist, is that right? Yeah. Okay, so on top That's of my day, day job, job, which is pretty hefty, uh, mentally speaking, yeah. and probably time-wise, you're doing this on the side. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, I, it actually depends on the day. Like, I don't know which is, like, which job is my side job and which one is my real job because there are days when I just cannot with coding and I cannot with data. I cannot with data statistics and I just want to read up on the latest, like, roasting techniques or brewing techniques or, like, this new fermentation that you can try with your coffee cherries. And then there are days when I'm like, okay, um, my boss needs something, so I should probably learn this new algorithm. <laughs> and then, like, I, like, see my, like, messages pile up from my mom because she, um, yeah, she sends me regular updates. Not, not that she's there in the farm all, all the time, but, like, she's there, like, maybe twice, twice a month. Uh, yeah, twice a month. And then I just kind of let her then take, like, most of the initiative because both data science and coffee are... Um, like full of like really passionate uh, people. Like I feel it, it feels like, like sticking to just one of these fields gets a little too intense that like, I can't devote my time like 100% to it. Otherwise, I don't know. It's just not good for me. Like I get so like passionate mm-hmm. and intense about it that like, I don't know, like my, I feel like my head's like going to explode. So I'd like to think that one like when I'm concentrating on one like field, I, the other one is like kind of my creative outlet. So we'll see how sustainable I, this is. I just started two years ago. So Well, yeah. okay. What if you're, and I don't know why I'm turning into yeah. a career counselor right now, but what if the two worlds met and you found yeah. a data science mm-hmm. niche in the coffee world? Would you yeah. want to do that? Do you want to keep them separate? That would be actually ideal. Um, you just have, kind of have to be careful about like coffee and, and coffee and technology because, you know, coffee and it's an agricultural product, 
right? So, mm-hmm. and a lot of um, people in tech are very interested in automation and like artificial intelligence and machine learning. And you ba- we basically risk like like building, I guess, tools that would then quote unquote steal jobs from farmers and other like people on the field literally in coffee. So I think I would I would like, keep that separate for now. So like for example, like one application that I've seen of like artificial intelligence in coffee is sorting uh, coffee cherries after harvest. So in order to get the best coffee, you have to harvest the reddest, ripest cherries. And you can use like image recognition to like basically take pictures of I don't know of your of your harvest and it'll then learn which ones are um, the ripest cherries, but then that means you won't be able to hire people to you you won't you don't need to hire people to then hand sort these copies for you because like the machine's more efficient. So I'd rather like kind of I'd like to think that the, I, there's still a lot of like social responsibility in coffee, especially if you're farming in areas like ours where they're where it's pretty isolated from cities. Therefore, like the people there need you know they need jobs and they need like a source of income. But like there are other things that I can use my tech knowledge. I, I can apply my tech knowledge in other ways. So for example, I trying to build my own um, weather station that like um, then my mom can install when she's in the, when she goes to the farm. Cause she's like, coming, she comes to visit me in Europe every summer. So like when it's ready, I'll just give it to her and she can like kind of install it. And then it, that'll collect data about the weather patterns um, at her farm. And I can analyze that from here. In the world of coffee event, is that yeah. in the same place? year or does it rotate locations it rotates locations actually last year was held in berlin and the year before that which is the year when we started this coffee farm it was held in amsterdam and this Mm -hmm. year it'll be in warsaw which is not so far from berlin definitely go there this year again and this time my sister will be joining me so my sister she is based in singapore she's a lot closer to my to my parents so she gets to go to the farm more often i guess um, but this year she's gonna like um, come join me in the world of coffee, and then together we're kind of we're gonna like kind of suss out the suss out the market together. Is that an event that just coffee drinkers would go to, or is it very focused on the business side of it? It's good for both, actually. But I think if you're in the coffee business, you'll get more bang for your buck, I guess. They also have um, competitions running at the same time, like like barista competitions. I think that's always fun to watch if you're into it. And they have this thing called the Roasters Village, where um, roasters from all over the world come and um, yeah, serve their coffees. And you can like score free samples and things like that. Um, of course, the idea is, you know, that they like give away their samples to people who might you know be interested in like getting coffee from them, but like they're also happy for anyone to enjoy it. Last summer in Shanghai, they actually had a coffee festival, I think is what they called it. And it sounds very similar, although it probably wasn't yeah. as big because it was the first time it was happening. Mm. And yeah, they had different oh, really? foods, like from beans, different books, yeah. different all kinds of different things. And all and I had I thought I had exhausted the specialty coffee, uh, coffee. like no, like I thought I had explored a lot in Shanghai before this, but they also brought people in from other cities in China and other countries. And so I was oh, just really? like, oh, this is the day. This is going to take yeah. a while. <laughs> it was great. Oh, that's really cool. I think I heard about that event and I really wanted to go. Um, of course, it was too far away. And I think I think it would have been interesting to to see because like China is a really big market for specialty coffee nowadays. The thing about Asian coffees I find that I find very exciting. So okay, the world of coffee is very um, European and North American centric because I think just mostly because of ge- geography. But I find, I find fascinating about the Asian specialty coffee market is that a lot of 
coffee from places like the Philippines and Thailand, like the best coffees from these countries stay in those countries. So maybe if you've ever had like a coffee in, in China, maybe you, you didn't realize it, but that's probably the best that China has to offer because they're mm-hmm. so precious that like they prefer to just sell it within within their like respective countries. And like for, for those of us who are outside, we, we miss out on a lot. Whereas here in, um, in big coffee events like World of Coffee, like all these like roasters um, who source their coffee from yeah South America and like uh, in South America and Africa? Yeah, they, these markets are so like, well established that they're happy to just sell their best to the European market. So, so yeah, I mean, you definitely need to check it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's what happened to me when I went to Colombia. I was living there for a few months, and I thought, oh, this is going to be great. Even if the job doesn't turn out to be amazing, the coffee is going to be great because that's where my priorities are, right? That's when I realized for some markets, they send mo- some of the best stuff out. And the most yeah. popular place was like Juan Valdez coffee, which was basically like a knockoff Starbucks equivalent. Sorry, sorry, Bogota, but it's true. It was really hard to find good coffee in Bogota. Yeah. Bogota. And I was yeah. just like, how is this possible? And that was, that was my education on import export as far as coffee goes. Right. Okay. Let's yeah. go back to yeah. your own individual coffee drinking experience. When did you fall in love with coffee? Um, I think I fell in love with coffee when I moved to Melbourne, Australia in 2010, actually. So that was 10 years ago now. Coffee used to be just a, a drink that I would have when I needed to like study. <laughs> I don't know college and like you know I'd do all-nighters for exams and things like that yeah keep my sanity or whatever in college I was a big nerd and like um, I really enjoyed like studying and things like that but then when I like I stopped studying and I started working like I guess I could just take it take more easy than like I so coffee drinking became more of an experience and not just a a beverage that I would consume to stay awake and Melbourne is known for its like coffee scene before there was even a word for like specialty coffee, it had specialty mm-hmm. coffee. And of course, like Australia is, uh, is also the birthplace of, um, of the flat white. And so uh, that's when I started to drink quote unquote specialty coffee. And back then I kind of mostly stuck to, yeah, like cappuccinos and flat whites and lattes and things. And I didn't really discover single origin and hand-brewed coffees until I, until actually, until we started the coffee farm. That's when I, I thought I was like a coffee connoisseur. Then I, like I knew like the best cafes and coffees in, in Germany. Because, yeah, uh, when I then moved to Germany in 2013 after spending time in Australia, I learned that like Melbourne was just kind of like the exception. There was good coffee everywhere in Melbourne. but And there's like, and I thought that was just like everywhere in the West. But like I moved to Germany and like most coffee is crap. <laughs> but then I, was, I thought, oh, I know like where to get the best coffee because I lived in Melbourne, things like that. But then I didn't know that there was such a thing as single origin, as hand brew coffee, as like you know AeroPress coffee, and like all these subtleties. And until I started to like study like coffee farming, and then I realized that like coffee is good not because well, this is just my subjective like opinion. Like coffee is not good because of like what the barista does, like the milk. And the sugar that you add to the, to the cup, because it's good because of the way that it was grown, the way it was harvested, and the way that it was processed at the farm level. And that's how you get really excellent single origin coffees. So this is all a pretty new kind of experience for me. I feel like I'm learning something new about coffee every year. 
So what is your go-to, like when you go out and have coffee with friends and whatnot, what's your go-to coffee that you get? I like to get batch brews, actually. When the, wait, batch yeah. brew? So what, what is that? I don't know this. So a batch brew is, um, hand, it's like, it's basically like hundred coffee times 10. Let's just say like a lot of cafes have these big filter machines that they, that they use to brew coffee the way that they would do for hand brew coffees. But like, because it's just not feasible to like hand brew every single cup, they just do it in one big batch. Um, gotcha. And it will taste just as good if you have good, if you have good like equipment um, gotcha. and they're also much cheaper than like, you know, hand brewed coffee. So mm-hmm. uh, I get my single origin fix without, without the price tag. I'd like, uh, there aren't that many cafes in Berlin that offer batch brews actually. Yeah. Mostly, I have um, had that. I just didn't realize there was a phrase for it. So thank you. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Now you, now you know. Yeah. Now you know. Um, also flat whites. If like, I, I feel like having milk in my coffee. It's the Germany Experience, the podcast about life in Germany as seen through the eyes of outsiders. I mean, you have to set your mind that you want to integrate and not that you're going to always be an Auslander. If your pronunciation is good, people will listen to you longer than if you have really good grammar, but fingernail on the blackboard pronunciation. Especially on those sunny days, I feel like walking in the streets of Berlin just gives me so much happiness, like happy vibes. The reason that integration is so important is not just so that you feel at home in Germany, but that you spend time speaking with native German speakers because that's how you're going to to master it. I heard this noise out front and I look out the window. There was a shepherd leading a flock of sheep down the street. (laughs) It was the most incredible thing. What is the one piece of advice that you would offer to expats coming to Germany? Don't come to Germany. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. And that's the podcast. The coffee in Berlin. <laughs> Love it, like it, wish it were better, wish it were worse, too much choice. Like, where do you fall on the spectrum? I wish um, they were cheaper. <laughs> I, wish co- I wish I wish coffee was cheaper here. I, would ha- I have to say that um, a lot of good coffee here is quite good, but kind of overpriced for what, for what you're getting, I think. So yesterday I was at a famous... Berlin coffee roastery that I won't name, but they charge like four euros for their um, flat white. It's like, I, I, I don't know. I just feel weird about like having to pay more than three fifty for, for a flat white that, you know, it was a bit quite, was a bit watery and like, you know, it was pretty average from, from, from my taste. Like, yeah. And, you know, hand brew coffees for like seven euros. Like, mm, what really? I mean, so yeah, in some places. Also, because I, I say this also because I've lived in other places in Germany, and I know that like a, like you can get really good flat whites in a medium-sized city like Düsseldorf for like three euros or two fifty, and it's just as good, if not if not better. And I think because as a like serious like um, home brewer, I buy a lot of beans from these cafes, right? Um, and you can get a good bag of specialty coffee in Dusseldorf for about like 10 euros for 250 grams or 10 euros, 12 euros, maybe. And that would be 12 euros would be the like on the pricier side of things. And here mm-hmm. in Berlin, you can't get each cheaper than like 15 euros for 250 grams. And I find that that's just madness. Right. And um, maybe 
one thing that you also learn when you go to World of Coffee is that all these cafes pretty much buy from the same importer. So it's like, well, I don't, I don't know. Maybe it's just business and I'm not like, you know, I'm not in the like, cafe roastery side of things. So maybe I'm like missing something, but like as a consumer, I, I want to understand what I'm paying for. And sometimes I don't know what I'm paying for. There's a previous guest, Anna Blackstan, who is an expat living in Prague. And she introduced me to yeah. this beautiful phrase, peak coffee experiences. And I, I want sure. to ask every guest from here on out what their peak coffee experience was. Like one experience, one coffee experience that you will never, ever forget. What's yours? I think my peak coffee experience is um, trying to get uh, coffee from China for the first time. It was, yeah, also at 19 grams two years ago. They were serving a coffee from China as well. It's not the same one as what they're serving today. Just remember, like, yeah, having coffee from China and I didn't even know that China had a coffee growing region and I just loved it 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 tasted like cranberries it was quite sour and it was on par with like um at least in my opinion with like Ethiopian coffees which are known for that kind of blueberry fruity and floral florid tastes and I guess maybe as an Asian person it's just nice to see Asian coffees being sold in Europe I mean, like hashtag representation matters, but like it's, I'm not saying that ironically, it just feels nice. I don't know. And I felt that like seeing that when when I saw that coffee on the shelf, I thought that like, wow, it's possible for our coffees to quote unquote make it as well in, um, in, 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 in like the specialty coffee market here in Europe. And this was like maybe, I don't know, a month or two after we decided to start a coffee farm. And now like kind of my perception has changed. Like I feel like I don't, we don't need to impress the European coffee market anymore. Because like, back when like we started it, I was like, oh, we need to export this coffee. And we need to like, you know, conquer the world and like like return coffee to its former glory, blah, blah, blah. So now I've kind of been more chilled out. But like I'll never forget how good that coffee was. And from then on, I started to like have a soft spot for less popular coffee mm-hmm. origins like um, thailand um laos has also really good coffee myanmar has really good coffee okay like we, most of yeah the coffees i'm mentioning are from asian countries because like asia is not very known for its coffee specialty coffee apart from vietnam which is known for its more commercial coffees yeah so it wasn't just like a pea coffee experience because of what it tasted like but like it just opened up that whole world of like um, unknown origins or unexplored origins and it was just different from you know the usual like african and, and, and south american coffees that are usually served at coffee shops here so yeah i would like encourage people who are um into specialty coffee to try unknown origins like the coffee companies in china and japan are really good at sourcing like the best coffees in the world and i like i've heard this from other coffee professionals as well because like as you can imagine like these roasteries and coffee shops are like are bidding for the best like the best beans right and but for some reason like china and japan like win like the best lots like the comp what you call competition lots where like yeah they're the best crops like win i don't know the highest scores from like based on the sea's like standards so yeah i should really do a coffee tour in china and japan at some point. So for future guests, we, we usually, again, focus on people's individual coffee experiences. What things am I missing that I should be asking them? can get a bit more, I don't know, this might be a controversial question, but I would encourage you to ask people how much they know about coffee farming and how much mm-hmm. farmers are actually getting paid for the mm-hmm. coffee that they grow. The price tag at the moment is a dollar 
I don't know, dollar fifty a kilogram. Maybe getting that wrong. Um, but that that's not a lot, right? So to pay just a dollar fifty for a kilogram of coffee to a farmer, considering how expensive coffee is to grow, is not all that fair to me. I, I think personally, there's this big push amongst the specialty coffee roasters and cafes called like I think transparency reports. So it so these cafes and roasteries then disclose how much they pay for their coffee per kilogram. And then that's mm-hmm. where that's when like that's what consumers can then use to decide whether they're going to support that cafe or their roaster based on based yeah, on what like they're a, willing to pay per kilogram. So like a yeah. coffee transparency rate kind of thing. That's really cool. I didn't know that existed. The more you get into the coffee industry, the more you realize that there's so much you can still do to help the farmers and the people who are in this like whole coffee supply chain. So I, I, I'm not going to say that like this is how much you should be paying for your coffee or like this is how much your, your roaster should be paying for coffee. Or this is these are the kinds of standards that you have to look out for. But like I would then just maybe encourage people to maybe just think, start thinking about this and kind of figuring out for themselves what's fair and what's not. me 